two, three, four. In this podcast, you will be here. Knights of Vader, Knights of Vader, includes but is not led to talk of Star Wars, not Reagan's. We can't truly prepare for the jump that follows this song, but hey, we give it a try. So here's the Knights of they are divided For equal sequel hate and love they fight I know that we are just musicians hired And their time is up So here's the Knights of Vader A big thank you to Inspiriority Complex for providing our theme song It is... God, March 2nd, 2020. My name is Zach Weber, and I am joined by the rational Raylo McKenzie. Misa back. <laughs> yes, folks, by the title of this week's episode, you have. Yes, yeah, she's still laughing at her joke, folks. Um, I, I do that a lot. I can't help it. I'm just too funny. Modesty. Second of time on Knights of Vader, and we are just striking that chord. Uh, but no, as you figured out by the title of this week's episode, we are revisiting The Mandalorian. But we have a very specific reason why we're doing this. Beyond just the normal uh, cavalcade of reasons as to why I'm a sadist and why I'm talking about something that I wasn't too fond of, uh, I think it's also worth noting that we want to give unique perspectives on Knights of Vader. We don't want everyone to think that uh, we are one-trick ponies on this podcast. We're like one and a half, maybe two, depending on which way the wind blows. So the reason why I wanted to go back and revisit The Mandalorian was because obviously if you've listened to this podcast for the last couple of months, you knew I was quite hard on the show. And I think part of that is a lot. I didn't explain myself properly when it came to uh, venting or not venting, expressing my opinions about the show. But also, I think uh, considering that Mackenzie is somebody that's new to the roster on Knights of Vader, I, I think this is a good chance to kind of flesh out her Star Wars opinions. I know last week it was a news episode, so we really couldn't do that. Um, she kind of hinted at where Although her we still was. did. A little bit. The, the Raylo stuff we got into, and that's, that's going to be a, a hallmark with her. And, Every- of course, Forks versus Crystal Foxes. Yeah, well, we, we you're wrong about that. So it's got, the audience knows they can't trust you entirely. They know you're not you're not entirely correct. I like so. how you choose when to be subjective. It's good. You have, to, you, have to, you have to keep things going, folks. You can't keep these. I think about these Knights of Vader co-hosts. They think they've got it all figured out, though. You got to kind of. Oh, I definitely don't. This is now, definitely shooting from the hip, one hundred percent. Good, good. Now I feel better. Now I keep everybody <laughs> on their toes. Uh, but no, so I know. So I'm going to let Mackenzie talk because she did not have the ability to watch these in real time as they <clears> debuted <throat> every week back in November and December. So she had some catching up to do. And I think this is a good way to kind of, uh, as a new member of Knights of Vader, our first new member in almost a year, a good chance to kind of feel out her opinion. So with that being said, uh, Mackenzie, what did you think of the Mandalinian? The Mandalinian. I liked it overall and maybe even loved it at certain points. Um, I will say that it lacked a consistent ability to maintain that level of love. Um, But it was kind of, I guess I did have a very interesting way of watching it because I watched the first two episodes in, what was it, November when it came out. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of went off the face of the planet for three months. And then I returned and therefore had all of the episodes to kind of just watch. Whereas everybody else kind of had to watch it week by week. I kind of had the ability to 
binge it in a uh, I mean, a somewhat short amount of time. And I think there was episodes that were up and down uh, for sure. As far as like the energy, I found myself getting bored, especially uh, like chapter like four through six, I would say are like my least favorite. Um, I think it started out really strong and I think it ended super strong. And overall, I don't see why you had such a problem with it. I mean, I know you didn't have a problem with it per se. Like it was fine, your words, you know, but I think there was like not a whole lot to complain about other than like, yeah, it was directed towards normies and yeah, there was obvious marketing ploys. But like, other than that, I mean, I can't really blame Disney for doing what they did with it. And I think they kind of tried to do that mass appeal thing that they, you know, typically go for. They're trying to make everybody happy, just like with the Rise of Skywalker, trying to please everybody. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, I'm happy with the final product. I think it was really great. And Baby Yoda is a, a, a miracle <laughs> and a gift. You along with the uh, consumer products division at the Walt Disney Company. If only I was profiting as much as they were. I still <laughs> from want that to, opinion. I I still want like if I ever talk to Cowboy Hat Man or John Favreau, I want to know who created. Oh, Baby I'm sorry. Yoda. Do you mean Trapper Wolf? <laughs> we'll get into that. <laughs> oh God. Uh, but no, I want to know who created Baby Yoda. Like whoever that is, I hope they got the bonus to end all. Oh bonuses. yeah, they probably did. They're probably vacationing in like Hawaii right now. Or something. I like don't know. In, indefinitely vacationing in Hawaii. They <laughs> they're it. retired. That was their job. Like they, they did it. They hit a home run. They did. Um, no, okay. Because obviously I want this to be a little bit more less focused on me because if you want to know my specific opinions on every chapter of this show, there's hours of that. So I don't want <laughs> to reharp anything, reharp on any points well, I've already made. I thought you said that some of your opinions changed. So I mean they we did. could touch oh, on that. Sure, but no, because I but Sure, some of my opinions changed, but overall, I'm 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 not as hostile toward this. But I do want because I know obviously my opinions on this show got me in trouble a couple of months ago with good old Mr. Dillywood, and this is something that I think needs to be prefaced a lot when it comes to my opinions that are out there. Is that just because I don't like something, I'm not saying that it's objectively bad, and I think that's a thing that a lot of people on the internet do. Is that it's like, oh, I do not like this thing, therefore it is bad. It's like, no, like I do not care for this show. It's fine. That's kind of the mm -hmm. it, it, it's serviceable. But at the end of the day, I, I I if somebody says like, oh, what should I watch Star Wars wise, or what sort of Star Wars thing should I consume of the Disney era? This would be very much toward the bottom of the list on my subjective opinion. But no, there's people that I have recommended this show to because I know they're going to appreciate it more than they would Rebels. It's, That's it's what much I was going to say. Digestible. I feel like it's a it's palatable for the everyday working man. You know what I'm saying? It's not like you going into Rebels or something. Like that's a great example because going into Rebels, you kind of have to have like a certain level of understanding of not only the Force, but I mean, kind of like the chain of events that led to Rebels happening. You have to understand, like, you know. Ahsoka, which means you have to at least have some knowledge of the Clone Wars. You know, there's there's just like certain things in that show that I could see where somebody who doesn't really know anything about Star Wars would have a very difficult time getting into it. Whereas I think The Mandalorian, it can speak to both, you know, Star Wars fans who have been fans since, you know, who knows how long and Star Wars fans that are like 
oh, I saw this meme and now I'm looking at this show because of this meme. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, no. Obviously, this product, it was this. That's the thing that every time I talk about this show, it goes back to one word that I I think kind of kills Star Wars for me. I don't see The Mandalorian as a TV, like a piece of Star Wars canon. I see it as product. It's product Mm. to be sold. And that's where, like, as much as I even. I my my lukewarmness to The Force Awakens. The Force Awakens at least has a soul. It's it's a derivative soul, but it at least has a soul. Where this is just it's product. And that's not a bad thing. Like again, I don't I, I guess I have a tone. And that's one thing I just want people to understand is that like okay, I'm not too fond of this, but by all means everybody enjoy it. Enjoy it as much as you can. But that's kind but the of the thing is it, it does have a soul. It does. And yes, it's the green soul is and tiny and cute and wrapped in cute tweed clothing and, and sip soup. And available at your local Build a Bear for thirty four ninety nine plus tax. Of course, you could buy a soul at Build a Bear. But the soup. <laughs> oh my god! No, oh god. Ugh. That again, he like Baby Yoda is fine. Like he's cute. He does his job. Like if anybody deserves their paycheck at the end, he's a huge plot point. It's not like he's just there to be cute. Like he's actually there to like he's a mystery. We don't know anything about him. We don't know what his species is. Obviously, we don't know why the Imperials are after him. We don't know why. There's so like he's so much more than just product. Like yes, he is that. But also you have like 100%. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to argue with you on that. Like at all. Like it's very obvious. They want to make money. Just like with the Porgs. They want to make money. But like it also serves as a huge point in the Mandalorian. Oh, well, it serves as a huge point in the Mandalorian's overall like character development. Yeah. I, again, I'm not knocking Baby Yoda. It's kind of like it's one of these things where it's like. The end product is is objectively good. I'm not saying that. It's like that's I've got no problem with this show on an objective level. It's like it's well made. It doesn't have any of the sort of problems that the Rise of Skywalker has in the sense like people it doesn't seem like anybody meddled with it. And I appreciate it for that. But it's just kind of like one of those things where it's more of a philosophical debate. Because like this feels like this show was created as a way to just please everybody. It's like yeah. okay. And that, but that's not what Star Wars was ever designed to do. Star Wars was never designed to please everybody. I disagree. I think Star Wars was created to, to, like, to be a story that everybody could relate to. Like, and yeah, it had a different, like, it had a different feel, and it maybe had it looked different and felt different than anything else that had come out at the time. But like at its core, it's a story about humanity. It's supposed to talk to everybody. It's supposed to touch everyone. But that, okay, and this is where it comes back to author's intent. Because if you go back and watch the reviews, not reviews, you watch the interviews, listen to reviews, read stuff with good old Jorge Lucas, (laughs) is that, like, the story of Star Wars is about a son's problem with their father. And that, and I get it, like, obviously other ancillary media ventures far away from that, so you can't always judge Star Wars on that level just by that benchmark. That's wrong. Definitely not. But Star Wars proper, and by proper I mean like your movies, 
and mm-hmm. such. And I think that's the thing about The Mandalorian that kind of bugs me, is that this is the first live-action TV show of Star Wars. And I know a lot of people have a problem when you say this, though, but, like, cartoons are cartoons. Animation's animation. It's always, mm-hmm. on a mass appeal level, going to be seen as a lesser form of entertainment than live action. It just is. Now, right. that's not, not taking away from the talented artist or anything. Not no, and on some level, like, it, 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 I won't say it's less, but on some level, it does have a little bit less gravity just because of the way that it's packaged. And I totally agree with that. And that's, that's my problem, is that, like, for the, like, as we all know, Lucas was trying to get a live-action TV series made for years, and for whatever reason, he either abandoned it because it was too expensive, it was going to be too lofty, or take too much time, or it wasn't just the way he wanted it to be. But it's like, so we're finally getting this after, what, 10-plus years of talk about it? And I get it, it's not what he originally had planned with Underworld. But it's like, this is our first instance of that, and they played it so safe. And I'm not saying I wanted Ryan Johnson last Jedi mm. level of stuff in this. I'm not saying that at all. But it's just, it's the adventures of not Boba Fett and his product of a surrogate child. And that's, and like I said, that's... But can you blame them? Like, like, yes. like... Yes, I can. You can. Yes, I yes, can Yes, I them. see where your qualm with them playing it safe is. But at the same time, like, they didn't know how the Rise of Skywalker was going to do. Oh, yeah. You okay. know, they... I'm, I'm not to cut you off, but I'm glad you bring this up. Because, again, going back to the Knights of Vader Facebook group, I think a couple of months ago, I brought up the fact that I was so excited that they were bringing Lizzie McGuire back, and everybody made fun of me. Everyone's like, Zach, why are you talking about Lizzie McGuire on Star Wars podcast? Zach, why do you keep posting Lizzie McGuire stories in the Knights of Vader Facebook group? To the point where it was a fantastical exchange going on between the philosophical and just, like, the intent of Zenger and I and why we decided to discuss certain <laughs> things, and we don't. And I found that hilarious and very, very enlightening. But the I think it was Chris Porteous who had the perfect explanation. I'm glad he's at least figured out how I think. In that, well, I talk about things like Lizzie McGuire in Disney. And I guess a little bit of context behind the new development for people who don't follow Lizzie McGuire news as much as I do. Is that a couple Which, months... The world would be a better place if we all follow Lizzie McGuire news as much as I do. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there, folks. Um, uh. but, what, but what recently happened... Was a couple months ago The showrunner of the Lizzie McGuire revival The same person who was the showrunner From the show 20 years ago Got fired And nothing kind of happened for a couple weeks Everyone was waiting for Hillary Duff to comment And then eventually got leaked by I think it was Variety Could be wrong but I think it was Variety Who said that oh Hillary Duff wants to make The Hillary um, Lizzie McGuire revival Relevant to People that grew up with the show So people basically in their late 20s, early 30s And Disney wants a very Sanitized version Of what Lizzie's future would look like Imagine Girl meets world uh, Juxtaposed to boy meets world And hmm. I posted that nice Vader Facebook group And again the thing was why are you posting this crap here And Chris figured out that, like, If you're going to understand how Disney works I'm sorry, understand how Star Wars works And why they make the decisions you do you have to look at the whole company. You can't just look at Lucasfilm and Kathleen Kennedy because, yes, yeah, she's a cog in that wheel, but she's not making unilateral decisions. She's being micromanaged as much as anybody else is. And that's where, going back to what Mackenzie said about can you blame them for the decisions? And yes. 
because they can do anything they want. And The Last Jedi is proof of that. And I don't mean, again, I don't mean that in a specific direction sense. But look at how people responded to The Last Jedi. They did not want that level of controversy again. But it's a level of controversy that grossed $1.3 billion. But at the same time, like, it also turned a lot of, like, fans... No, to be completely volatile no, towards them. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. It, it, there's no such in today's day and age. You got to be, especially when everybody is so. What's the word? Oh God, what's what's the correct way to say this? Everybody has ADD, and it's just like okay, I, I cannot sit still for more than ten seconds at a time. You got people to focus on this movie. Think of all the digital rentals that were sold. Like it, it was like I think it was like the first or second highest or biggest selling Blu-ray DVD of 2018. The movie worked. And The Rise of Skywalker just is an example of when you play it safe, you fall flat on your face. I know fall flat on your face to the point of one point like zero five billion dollars, but that's the thing I've always said about The Mandalorian is that like yes, it plays it safe, but to what to like to what avail though? Like it played it safe in the fact that we share Baby Yoda memes, but we're not going to think about this show. It's like it's like we'll always talk about the Last Jedi. We are never going to stop mm-hmm. talking about that film. And I guess we hasn't even been said on the record yet because I know Mackenzie hasn't given her opinion. Well, she's low key given her opinion on that film. If you if you know if you're unlike Zenger, if you can read between the lines, or what was the exact phrasing you used last week? If you had like two eyes, if you have eyes. <laughs> Or in this case, if you have ears, you figured out. Or an understand. I think I, it was if you have eyes or an understanding of foreshadowing a film. <laughs> uh, boy, and on top of, on top of calling her the rational Rayla, we could also call her Snips. Does you know, folks? If she Please starts don't do doing that. no, no. <laughs> if she's snippy with you about Raylo, no. I, I give you permission to refer only about Raylo. If, you, if she's snippy about Raylo, then you can call her Snips. Other than that, she's the rational Raylo. Um, but no, like, but no, but like, okay, go ahead. You're saying though, because I don't want to hijack this. I'm still thinking about Snips. I don't like that. What was I saying? <laughs> it's in the listeners' hands now. They now they I I, I, I lob the ball into their into their court now. So it's up to them. That was out of left field, man. Comment down uh, below if you want to call her Snips. Oh dear God. But yes, okay. What you're saying though about like. Can you blame? Oh, why, oh, oh, oh. about that? Why about them playing it safe? Why don't you blame them? Why don't you blame them? Because number one, it's Disney. They don't necessarily have to take risks in order to profit. And and whereas I agree with you, I think the Last Jedi is so much better than anything that we've gotten in this past last three months or all of the content that we've gotten in the past year. Last Jedi trumps it by a long shot, just for the strides that it took as a story. Um, but at the end of the day, it's Disney, and they are only trying to appeal. Well, they are trying to appeal to the masses, and the masses want Marvel. They want everything to be shiny and flashy. And it wraps up nice and neat, and there's nothing, like, even remotely, like, debatable about it. And they don't want to have to deal with the aftermath that they had to deal with The Last Jedi. I mean, that was insane. Like, the people that came after Kathleen Kennedy, the people that came after Lucasfilm in general, like, I can understand, like, those higher-ups are probably thinking to themselves, like, we don't want to have to deal with that again. 
And that's just, I mean. But that's, okay, this is my problem with that, though. Is that, like, that's the easy way out of this. Because they did profit off The Last Jedi. They, like, not no, only yeah, look, I'm not no, arguing that. I'm no, but, definitely not arguing that. But, it's kind but, of ridiculous to think that they would profit more or less off of... No, but what I mean by profit, I don't mean, like in, a, like, in a monetary sense. I mean, like, in today's day and age, having... I think about Avengers Endgame. Highest grossing film of all time, we've already forgotten it as a culture. It's, it's an, Right, it's because not, it was irrelevant. It was irrelevant though, but we're always good to talk about Luke Skywalker throwing the lightsaber over his shoulder. We're, mm-hmm. that's, that that is a moment that in pop culture is like I'm not saying it's up there with like I'm King of the World, Titanic, or Lord of the Rings. I'm not saying it's that level of ingrained in the culture, but it's one of those things that like every everybody who's been online or on social media back between December 2017. And let's just for the sake of the argument, December 2019 has an opinion on that. Mm-hmm. If you if you watch that film, you have an opinion on that on that moment, on that oh, creative sure. choice. And the thing about and this goes back to my complaint about Disney is that like they are a media company. They can control a narrative if they want to. It's called the marketing of it all. And I think that's the thing. They could, I'm not saying the Mandalorian has to be weird or experimental. I think it, it, it mm-hmm. has its moments where it goes outside its its comfort zone. I'm not going to knock it or say or, or omit yeah, that. Yeah, it of still stuff does that. Star Wars things. Yes. But the thing is that like it does the goofy stuff. And I know like we're gonna talk about again chapter five, where we go into Mos Eisley and everything is just so painfully the same. Reminiscent. Yes. And that's the sort of stuff that's just there to stroke certain fans of a certain age. Like mm-hmm. think about it. Like I, I obviously we're not gonna go into specific ages here, but I'm 27 years old. Mackenzie is younger than I am And of course yes we love A New Hope Nobody's going to argue that we don't Love that film But there's a very specific fan That that moment Is going to resonate with And we're not those fans mm, And I think yeah. I brought it up with her too Because I remember asking Mackenzie about like Because she even though she saw this back in November Before she had to go to the Netherworld Only the first course, two episodes but she saw the intro, the new intro they were doing with all like the metallic like faces. It was like the light, like the red and blue lights are flashing mm-hmm. off them. And I asked her, I'm like, what'd you think of that? And she's like, oh, it's neat. I, I like it. And I'm like, you know, it's the fact that there's no prequel characters there. And it's like, oh, and that's there because we have to. You can still make it. You can still make an argument for R2D2. I did. Uh, uh, He's an original trilogy. If he had his rocket boosters from Attack of the Clones, <laughs> then maybe, maybe he was still in it, though. But still, I I think that's I think the Mandalorian. I think even this Lucasfilm since roughly 2013 has been the like. There's it's just it feels so. I guess yes. I know we have super battle droids in this, and they're they're there for all mm-hmm. ten seconds. But they're also like that's the thing. Two people have to realize the Clone Wars content, even though it's Steeped in prequel era content, prequel era. Oh, okay, I said prequel era. Is that like the Clone Wars is a different beast than the prequels? It's it's a different beast. Nobody got mad off the 2008 series. People got mad off the prequels, or like or the narrative that that was spun mm-hmm. from the prequels. Because I, I was, I'm going through, I'm doing a bunch of cleaning right now. I'm cleaning things out, and I found an article I saved 
for I think it was an AP article from May of 2005. And it's titled, it came out, I think the article was written right before the Revenge of the Sith came out in the theaters. And it was, Why I'm Excited for Star Wars. And it's, it's, it's an AP article, so it's like, I don't know, 10 paragraphs long, maybe three sentences each. It's not very lengthy by any means. And I'm reading this, and the entire article boils down to, the prequels suck, but I love the original trilogy. And I look at this, and this is an article published in May of 2005. And it's not hard to understand why, where we are now where creative decisions are being made in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the sort of stuff that I know on this podcast, I tend to not focus on the actual, as what I've been doing now for the last 20 minutes, the specific piece of media. I'm more concerned about everything swirling around it. And that's the sort of stuff that kind of scares me about the Mandalorian is that it does get that unanimous this is the best thing since the Empire Strikes Back level of criticism. And that's the sort Are of people actually that, saying that? I, I, I'm not saying that literally. That's just a moniker I give it. When, when Star Wars isn't criticized, that's how I've always defined it. It's the best thing since Empire Strikes Back. Hmm. Um, that's just my own little... What's the yeah. word? Uh, 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 what do you want to call it? Yeah, you get my point. Yep. Um, that's the thing, though. Is that, like When Star Wars plays it safe... It's it's a creative rut, hmm. and even though I love the Rise of Skywalker, it's closer to the Mandalorian than it is intentionally closer to the Mandalorian. Because I know there's going to be some episode in the future, folks, where we're going to delve through the Rise of Skywalker and really parse the things that we think were intentionally crafted by the filmmakers and the ones that we've kind of drawn the lines to, like connected the dots and been like, oh, this is profound. But we're doing it, not them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that kind of scares. That's why the Man- the Mandalorian is, objectively speaking, is well crafted, good content. Mm-hmm. But as a indicator, as a canary in the coal mine for Star Wars, it scares <laughs> the ever living daylights out of me. I can understand that. I think that maybe that whole like. The way that the public reacted to the prequels back in the day, how visceral it was and how it essentially sent all Star Wars fans and Star Wars content scurrying into the ground for like 10 years, essentially may be another one of those reasons why they don't want to have a repeat of that again. Because they want to continue to monetize on this and they want to continue to maximize profits, but at the same time... They don't want another prequel-esque situation in which people are just so angered by it that it becomes, it literally became cool to be like, oh, the prequels suck. That was like a very um, widely spread, uh, well, how do I say, like a widely, like it was Narrative. widely accepted. It was popular to say that. It was, it was, everybody was going around and being like, oh, hate Jar Jar Binks, hate this, hate that, blah, 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 you know, episode two sucks, which, I mean, it's objectively not great, but, I mean, that doesn't mean that you can't still love it for what it is, and I, I, you know, I kind of, like, am seeing where you're coming from saying, like, it would have been objectively better if they had taken a little, a few more risks with the Mandalorian and how it is indicative of kind of a, a waning level of, I don't, like gumption in the the production level of it, but I don't know. It just 
it's Disney, man. What do you expect? They they don't care about anything. But, they don't care yeah, about us truly. But they yes, just want to make money. But yes, the, okay, this is the thing though. This is the example I've used a couple of times now in the past. Is that when Black Panther came out and you had a bunch of horrible people, like not even people, it was like three people like with a router and like a laptop, like from nineteen ninety-eight, that were like, We're gonna like we're gonna like what's the word uh, uh review bomb black panther because we are bad people and immediately the entire social media came to a grinding halt to chase out these three people like where facebook was deleting groups rotten tomatoes was promising to not let anything bad happen really and yeah that that it was one of those stories like it was threatening to review bomb something and then, like, it was, it was either a week or two before that or after that, you had the really targeted harassment of Kelly Marie Tran. And, oh, yeah, that was sad. And everybody sat on their hands. Yeah. And I, went, and I went, why is it that we're defending the Marvel thing? Which is, again, not saying that that was wrong to defend that. But why aren't we defending the same horrible actions, but in the context of Star Wars? And I go, huh. It's and again, and what do you think? Did, when when all these horrible things happen, that Disney doesn't have a role in it to some capacity. Again, it's it's a company with thousands upon thousands of employees. Mm-hmm. It, they can shut down anything they don't like. If there's ever a narrative that they don't like, they can shut it down. And by shut it down, I don't mean like authoritarian, like you know what, pull mm-hmm. the plug on the internet. I mean like you have they ways can nip of, it in the bud. Yeah, when it comes to the press and media, again, and that's my thing when it comes to narratives. Like Rise of Skywalker comes out. And less than 24 hours later, JJ's like, you can hate it all you want. And it's like, that's a weird narrative to say about the film you've spent two years of your life on. And that's the thing is that, like, they could do bold things with The Mandalorian. Because there's a thing about those fans that grew up with the original trilogy are at least 50 years old now. Like, in marketing demographic terms, they're going to reach a certain age very soon where they're not going to be important anymore because when it comes to marketing and stuff, once you reach a certain age, advertisers give up on you because they've realized you've made up all your decisions in life. That's There's, actually the age. Yes. You've heard it before. People say like, they'll say like in the key demo, because once you reach a certain age, when it comes to consumer behavior, you can't convince somebody they've made up their mind about brands and just loyalty to those sort of things. Huh. I wonder how and, they came up with that number. There's, there's studies and stuff. There's trust me. If you if you want to do research on that, there's no shortage of information on it. But the point being is that like when that stuff all goes away, or I'm not sorry, those people go not go away, but they're not they <laughs> when they have, die. Their their buying power has diminished greatly in the next ten to fifteen years. Mm. What's there going to be there for you and I as the relative new generation? I think about what well, you and I have recently in the last couple years are now part of a generation that has discretionary income that we can, we're like 10 years ago where we were asking for our parents' money to buy this stuff. Right. We I, have I our own, saying. we have our own money. And like Mackenzie told me not to go delve too far into her personal life, but she found a very cool hat. Yes, I did. Do you want to tell the audience, do you want to tell the people about the hat you found? It's a, it's a hat from definitely made in the late nineties. I found it in a <laughs> thrift store van and it has Star Wars, The Phantom Menace on the front and a Pepsi logo on the back. And I love it very much. And it looked like it had been kind of just shoved into the corner. And uh, it looked very sad and forgotten. But uh, The Phantom Menace is actually my favorite Star Wars film. 
Uh, we can talk about that later. Be- okay, <laughs> folks, begin the boycott right now. Hashtag cancel Mackenzie. Be- I'll, I'll be the first person to tweet it out. That's fine. I can handle being canceled. <laughs> but the point of that was, and again, folks, this is going to come back to the Mandalorian. This is more of a, a reevaluation as opposed to, or, or what's the word, realignment of it, maybe more than a, a re- uh, retrospective or anything like that. The point being is, I feel the Mandal like. Okay, I'm getting back to the hat. The point of the hat story was. <laughs> Well, there's a bunch of thoughts going on. I'm trying to connect them all at once, and sometimes they're all over the place. Is that that hat would not be? I get it. It's a, she got a promotional hat. It says Pepsi on the back. I can see that. That hat was not made explicitly to be bought like at a Target or a, a J.C. Penney back in the late '90s. But it's the idea that that that's not going to be made. That's not that merchandise is not made available today because dis, that. Lucas did not try to control the narrative. He did not try to shape the narrative. And that's my problem with Disney right now. Instead of being like, okay, we want to make Star Wars content for all eras of eras of the fans. No, we're going to take this. And, and that's the thing too. It's also precedent is that we're going to take this first live action Star Wars TV series. The first time Star Wars at this level of like production, money, effort has been brought to the small screen and we're going to play it as safe as humanly possible. Mm. And that's a... Go ahead. I'm sorry, no. Go. The thing is, is that, like, if you are going to set a precedent, not that you want to go crazy, like, obviously you can't have your precedent be The Last Jedi. You, 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 I get that. Mm-mm. I'm not a madman. It's the idea that, like, they should have been a little bit more ambitious in the sense of the sort of decisions they were making. And that's what kind of, not that, again, it's not that the show bothers me. It's the fact of what it represents going down the line. And that mm-hmm. when, like, let's say, like, I know, I, I think I just read today that Peyton Reed might direct. Oh, yeah, uh, I saw that. He yeah. might direct a couple episodes of season two. And like Peyton Reed has an imagination. Let's say he wants to do something a little bit out there. Guess what? Chances are he's going to be told no based on the corporate culture, not just at Lucasfilm, but at Disney in general, that, nah, we really can't do that. Well, why mm-hmm. can't we do it? Because you know what? We might upset those fans. Look mm-hmm. at how well they responded to the, to the first season. Do we really want to buck all the goodwill we got from that first season? Mm-hmm. And that's the sort of stuff that will happen. Creative ideas will be left out to dry because the first season went over so well because of how safe it was. They're going to be even more hesitant to take risks, mm-hmm. and that's and that's natural. Like you have something that's successful, you don't want to rock the boat. I'm never going to knock them for that, but they also have the ability to shape how people view these things. Instead of having Andy Gutierrez and uh, Anthony Carbone go out there and talk about interview somebody who doesn't really matter. Have somebody who has an opinion on Star Wars be like, hey, you know, in this episode of The Mandalorian, when. Okay, what's an episode everybody hates from The Mandalorian? Everybody hated the, the fourth episode, the one where he's in the uh, the little village. Have somebody go out there and it's not saying that they, they, they get on the pulpit and they start, what's the word, lecturing the audience, but have a Star Wars fan explain why, like, have hell, like, give a, a real world demonstration of a healthy star Wars debate. You have two mm. people be like, I love this episode. Then you have someone say, I hated this episode. And not that you instruct the fans, but it gives a perspective. Like, right. Instead being, of having the one thing that people kind of just like clasp onto. And that becomes the overall census. Yeah. And that's what it does. Like, I think it's become, I, again, it became a joke on this podcast that like the, the army of not Boba Fett's at the end of episode three. And, <laughs> Even McKenzie, you, you, 
tell the audience your opinion on that. I thought it was neat. It made me happy to see them all flying around like little bugs. That might be a weird way to think about it, but it was cool. I thought it was really cool. And again, everybody's entitled to their opinion. I'm not knocking anybody's opinion because clearly I'm in the minority, though. But that's the sort of stuff, though, is that, like, guess what? Next season, people are going to expect that same level of thing. So if the show doesn't do that, there's going to mm-hmm. be a layer of, you know what? I like the first season more because I got to see an army of not Boba Fett's flying around. And right. that's just, and that's where, like, you need to, like, think about it, like, is there a moment in any episode of The Mandalorian season one that you'd be like, wow, they really did something a little outside the norm there? Mm. A, little, a little outside the norm. I'm not saying Luke Skywalker throwing the lightsaber over his shoulder. I, I'm, I'm not counting that sort of stuff. But is there a single moment in this show that you can point to and be like, wow, like you know what? I wasn't expecting that, though, but I enjoyed it. Was there anything unexpected in The Mandalorian, all eight episodes? Unexpected. I wasn't expecting the Darksaber. <sighs> I, I but mean, that's, that's just... But that's, that's fan service, though. You didn't ask whether it was fan service. I, you just asked whether I, it was expected or not. Okay, fair. That is fair. But that's, like... What role does the Darksaber play? That's my problem with the Darksaber in the end. What role does it play? Why Why does it... Imp- okay, that's another thing I want to bring up. Okay, I'm glad you brought that up. Hmm. But we'll get to that in a moment. Sure. What What importance does that play at the end of episode eight other than wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the audience? Yes, it's wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But it's also, it begs, it asks questions. It begs the question, how did he come to be in possession of it? He got it from somebody. Question well, answer, obvi- moving on. <sighs> well, obviously, but like, I think there's a little bit more. I mean, it piqued my curiosity like a lot. I'm very curious as to how we went from the Darksaber being where it was in the Clone Wars and uh, Rebels to where it is now. And I think that's interesting. I think that's a but, cool connection. But that is, I'm not talking about Star Wars lore, though. I'm talking about in the context of The Mandalorian Season 1. In that, mm-hmm. like, I'm going to take two examples. You have the Darksaber that shows up at the very end solely as a... It's it's Darth Maul at the end of Solo. It's the exact same thing. It doesn't need to be there. It's there there to stroke the fans. Yet, you have a very similar moment earlier in that same episode where Mandalorian gets the Mm jetpack. That makes sense because it's a way of... It's almost like a graduation present for him. Throughout the entire season, we're seeing how he got drafted into this world how he how he became part of this inherited family so when the armorer give presents him and gifts him the jetpack and by the end of the episode where he's he has learned how to do it he is now a complete mandalorian as we saw in chapter three where he sees a favrolorian and he goes i gotta get me one of those and it's a way of like okay it, as a a fan servicey nod, because of course it's fan servicey because Boba Fett has a jetpack, Jango Fett had a backpack. If a Mandalorian doesn't have a jetpack, they're not truly a Mandalorian. But mm-hmm. it makes sense on a story level beyond Star Warsy nonsense because it is his not only crowning achievement, but he's accomplished something. He's no longer the guy we saw in the beginning. He's not the yeah. guy wearing the broken down, kind of cobbled together armor that we see him when he's on the the, the snow icy planet. 
Mm-hmm. He's he's evolved. He's a better person. He's a better warrior. We've seen the character grow. And that's one of the things I really did love about the show is that like considering that Pedro Pascal can't show his face except for one very brief moment and his his voice acting is monotone and it's deliberately monotone. He really sells that character through just how he, like, he oh, enunciates on certain words and just his body language. His body language, yeah. And the way he, like, cocks his head when he talks, it's just very, uh, it's very, like, especially when it comes to Baby Yoda. You can you can just feel how much he cares for, for the little guy just through, like, the most minute, like, movements. And I love that. Yeah, no, he does a great job. Like that's one thing too. I, it should be stated again, as I know everybody thinks I'm negative, but I gotta, I guess, I have to be more pronounced with my positives. It's the idea that like the performances are phenomenal in this. They really, like, not phenomenal. They're they're very very good for mm-hmm. what for what they're being directed. They're being directed. And they're all everybody's doing their job correctly. But going back to the thing about dark saber versus the jetpack, that's mm. the sort of stuff that I want as Star Wars. That he's not just being given the jetpack because fan service. Could that play a role in it? Sure, I have no problem with that. Fan service done properly is great. Rogue One being the there's never been a greater example in the history of media of fan service being done better than Rogue One. Fan service it makes it, again it's it's profound how mm-hmm. well Rogue One understands fan service, except for some of the more glaring elements like Ponta Babu and Doctor Evazon. That's well, that's, I mean, it's because it's not outright trying to punch you in the face with it. Yes, but that's the juxtaposition. The jetpack versus the dark saber. The mm-hmm. jetpack has a reason for showing up in the narrative of the story. You take Moff Gideon getting out of the Tie Fighter without the dark saber, and it works just as well. On a story I disagree. Level. If he just got out of it and he didn't have anything, I mean, it would have been fine. But I think the dark saber definitely added like a, an added level of like, oh, like how did he get that? But that's you know, the, like, but that, but that's the Star Wars fan you talking, not the person that's not the, I don't want to say film lover, but the person of just absorbing this as a piece of media, a piece of I don't want to say art because art's because uh, <laughs> I don't want to say product because product is not that's not fair because I'm I, that's not what I'm trying to get at here. It's, I think art is appropriate. Art, yes, art, art for lack of a better word. And that's that's what bothers me about this show is that like it can do very very great things at times, but it goes back to that crutch. Like, wouldn't it have been great at the very end of the Mandalorian that instead of like, like yes, you need your shot of Moff Gideon getting out of the Tie Fighter because you need to know he's still going to be alive and kicking mm-hmm. for the next season. I, I have no problem with that, but wouldn't it have been a little more interesting? Is that like our final shot is? Just baby Yoda, like how it kind of ends right before that moment. Is right, that if we didn't, if if we didn't have that, yeah, like you do have Moff Gideon get out though, but he gets out of the hatch and kind of stumbles, and we have a moment that instead of having fan service, like think about it, look at look at what's happened to him at that moment. His entire battalion of stormtroopers are gone. His death troopers are gone. Mm-hmm. His TIE fighter, his really cool TIE fighter with the folding wings, gone. Wouldn't it have been clever that building, considering that we are building him up for a second? Or for appearance in season two, to have a moment of self-reflection where you have this guy who comes sh- the first time we're introduced to him, he comes striding out of his really cool Tie Fighter. He has a battalion, all this stuff, and then at the very end, we have a moment of self-reflection and considering that. Um, oh God, what's his name? Uh, Giancarlo Esposito. That's the actor's name, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We have a considering that he's a very talented actor. We have a moment where he kind of like we see him in the Tie Fighter that's crashed. 
and maybe he maybe he's still stuck in his seat. Maybe a piece of debris has him trapped has him trapped. And he looks around and we and he kind of has a moment of self-reflection of look what look what's happened to me. Just or like like a moment of defeat. A moment of exactly a moment of defeat. Like look at how far look at how on top of things I was just hours ago. Mm-hmm. And now look what's become of me. Mm-hmm. And that on a story level Never mind, just works better, but it also makes us connect with the character because that is a human experience that we all can relate to. We've all been there at some point in our lives where we felt like we've had life by the cojones, and then it all comes crashing down. And mm-hmm. guess what? So when we see him return in season two, we know that he's not someone to be messed with. But instead, we get fan service sword. And it's like, well, great. Everybody else, like, I think, like, you, you, you pointed out yourself. Think of all the other times. Look how many times that lightsaber's got passed around. Mm-hmm. Having that lightsaber means nothing. You have that lightsaber, all it means is you're going to lose eventually. It's almost, it's almost like kind of having like a like an omen. It's like every character that's wielded that thing has died in some horrible way, or at mm-hmm. the very least, it's been ripped out of their hands. Yeah, I could see what you're saying about the the idea of him having his uh, moment of somber defeat. Being better from a cinematic viewpoint. And uh, yeah, the Darksaber is, you know, clearly just cheese thrown at us. But that doesn't mean that you still can't appreciate it. At least me. I I still appreciate it. Sure. I wasn't expecting it to just like, especially the way they kind of just like it just like comes poking out of the side of the TIE Fighter. I really thought that was neat. I thought it was like, oh no, like he's got it. And who knows? I mean, maybe in season two, they do give us a little bit more insight into that. I think his whole character though, right now is very much like Grand Moff Tarkin in like the sense, like he is very much one track minded, stone cold, very like, it doesn't seem like they want to show that human, like that humanity inside of him yet. But, but I mean, eh. I know what you mean. And I, I again, I'm not knocking the dark saber. I, I again, that's the thing. I don't mind it being there, mm-hmm. but it's just how it's used. Mm-hmm. It's being used in that sequence as fan service. Right. That's that. It's again. I don't mind it being there. It, again, it goes back to Rogue One. Like I, I would imagine, a lot of people are like, "Well, how can you say? How can you like Rogue One if you don't like?" The dark saber. It's because, like, you look at Rogue One. You have Red Leader and Gold Leader. It makes perfect sense for them to be there, and that's what I want. If you're going to have the dark saber, have it there for a reason that makes sense to the world you're in. Have it. Have it. Don't make it like. Don't make that moment the centerpiece because guess what? It becomes the Marvel post credits thing. Like I can tell you in. April of 2014, when Captain America the Winter Soldier came out, everybody was freaking out. Oh my god, that's Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. And mm-hmm. guess what? You watch that movie now, and that's I'm not joking. If you look at those stupid BuzzFeed articles and the clickbaits, like the, all the Marvel post-credit sequences, like ranked for your like from best to worst, that sequence is always consistently in, re- in, in later years at the very bottom. Even though right. it was mind, it was mind blowing in 2014 because, like, oh my god, we're actually getting this sort of thing in the Marvel movies. It's not just mm-hmm. Iron Man in a suit, Captain America with a shield, Thor with his hammer. We're getting more superhero stuff. And then five years later, 
when people were sitting down, it doesn't for it matter. Infinity War, it doesn't matter because it was fan service, mm-hmm. and that's the sort of stuff. If you are going to introduce these fantastic parts of Star Wars for for the normies and the filthy casuals, make tie them into the characters. So when you do see that, it's like it's not just fan service. Because think of all the people that that watched the Mandalorian, the filthy casuals that saw that and went, mm-hmm. "Oh, a black lightsaber, cool. Mm-hmm. All right, what's yeah. next? I'm going to watch the Simpsons now." Yeah, it is. It is kind of. I'm glad you brought up the marvelization, as I call it, of uh, Star Wars because it is very apparent in this. And I will say, like I did mention earlier, like I wasn't completely consistently thrilled with this show the entire time, and a lot of that does have to do with that almost that exact same feeling I get watching. Like I don't know. I don't want your fans to hate me by saying this, but like <laughs> infinity war, like I, I really just have this level of like indifference and it's, it wasn't like throughout the entire episode. It was just like, I just began to lose interest because it was just like action scene. And then like, let's just have some dialogue and then action scene. And then let's just have some dialogue. And then, Oh look, new characters that I don't really know. I don't really care about. Okay. Uh, and we're moving on. And it's just like, I just consistently wanted to get back to the story at hand. And I think like out of like four, five and six, I, w- I will say like on, re- on reflection four is still, is probably my favorite, but like five and six, I definitely could have done without just because I, I don't know. It just, we could have skipped those and gone right into episode seven. And I think it would have been fine. But that's this. Okay. I, again, I, again, I, it's not that I don't, it's not that I disagree, but I think it's just uh, in a. It's the idea that like uh, this used to happen a lot with Clone Wars and Rebels, more Rebels than Clone Wars. Now that I think about it, is that there'd be the what we would dub at the time the filler episodes, mm-hmm. where I know my my favorite filler episode. By favorite, I just mean maybe the most the one that comes to memory the easy, easiest was there was an episode where I think it was Josh Gad was playing a guy in a ship that had like a thing on his head. And I don't remember what it was, but I think it was right, it was the episode that happened right before the Obi Wan Kenobi episode. Oh and so yeah! Everyone was just, everyone was like, "This is a waste. This is stupid." Like we want to get directly to the action. Mm-hmm. And every, not every episode needs to be firing on all cylinders. You do need those no. episodes where you take a take a step back. And that's where I don't want to knock this show because I, I, it's not, it can't be, it can't be firing on all cylinders all the time. That's just not how any nothing in wor- real world works that way. But at the same time, though, like you can take moments where things feel a little bit slow, where I think Mackenzie and I disagree. I really love Chapter 6. She's clearly not thrilled about that at all. Mm. But it gave you an opportunity, like, in the episode when Mando is like, like, you have Bill Burr and his cohorts, and Mando's the one that has to take down all the battle, uh, the battle mm-hmm. droids. Not battle droids. But I mean, the, like, the you, complain, you complain about him being not Boba Fett, but then that's literally all he is in that move. In that, oh, sorry, that's all he is in that episode. Whereas I feel like he's got a lot more uh, layers to him that you see coming through in other episodes. And in that episode, he's just very two dimensional. He's. I wouldn't say it's okay. You're. I think it's also how you look at this, though, in the context of the episode it's in. Sure, relative to the other chapters, sure, it's not an episode that delves into his inner psyche at all. He's not hearing the metal playing sound, having the flashbacks of the time his parents were killed. Right. But he's well, also, he kind of was. 
not in that, not in that episode. He no, I mean, it. not physically, but I mean, he was dealing with his hatred of droids. Yes. Oh, yeah. They do hint at that. Uh, so I'll, sure. I'll give you that. But I think part of it, like the part of the thing, too, about The Mandalorian is that it's also fun watching a, per, a character who's great at a very specific thing demonstrate it. Do that thing, yeah. And I think that's one thing that, like, a lot of people misunderstood about the prequels. Is that, like, I know in the um, Phantom Menace behind-the-scenes documentary where Lucas is explaining to Steven Spielberg about the battle droids. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, he's like, oh, these are the, the battle droids. Uh, the Jedi cut them up like butter pretty easily. And <laughs> did that pretty good. Yeah, I know. I, I, he's somewhere Zenger and Russ are proud right now. <laughs> and And... It's like, oh, then like people are complaining, like, well, where's the tension then? And it's like, well, there's not supposed to be any tension. If you think the Jedi destroying battle droids is supposed to be tension filled, you're missing the point. It's right. the fact that the Jedi face no adversity, and that's where their arrogance and hubris stems from. The fact that like they they're they're only foe, the thing in their way, they can literally just mow down like a hot knife through butter. And that's the thing about chapter six that I think a lot of people kind of miss is that it's not every episode can be that level of like chapter four where baby um, Mando is talking to the widow on the, the, in the village where he's kind of like becoming vulnerable. You also, mm-hmm. at the same time, you need that contrast of him. He's not, he can be vulnerable, but he also is this badass that can get out of any dilemma. And I know, yes, well, I criti- they did kind of show that already. I mean, to a point, but I, yes, I 100% see where you're coming from, but, but that's it. But there's a difference between him being a badass when it's unexpected and him being in his element doing it. And that's, that's where, like, I, I think I mentioned it in the chapter four, this chapter three discussion is when he breaks baby Yoda, Yoda out of the safe house. I wasn't mm-hmm. a fan of that. Like where he kneels down and does the iron man and all the little things shoot out of his gauntlet. Like I was like, Oh God, it's like, yeah, but that's also him being a bat, a, a badass and, and demonstrating it in the same way that you just said, but no, but it's okay. But how he's I, got a, he's got more of a purpose at that point instead of he, just like going on this random mission. But uh, sure, and this is this is more. I'm not. It should be okay. It's it's horrible. I have to preface all this with all these qualifiers. Is that I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm not directing right. that toward toward Mackenzie. I'm directing that to everybody. I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm talking about my preference. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this goes back to the fact that remember, if you like something and I don't, that's fine. It's matter again. We all have our opinions, but it's the thing that like when he does that though, when he breaks into the safe house, he's supposed to be a little bit on his feet. In the sense of like it's it's not a job, and yet he is so so calculating. He has everything figured out to the fact that he knows in that room if he puts his his fist down to the ground, every one of those whatever they're called the whistling the whistling willows or whatever they are, he knows they're gonna hit all those stormtroopers. Despite the fact that this is a very impromptu mission, think about it. He was gonna leave the planet. Moments earlier, and mm-hmm. it wasn't until he saw the little knobby that Baby Yoda liked to play with. It was a very impromptu decision. Yes, he was conflicted prior to that, though, but it was very much a, a decision that was made in the moment. And you juxtapose that to Chapter Six. Mm-hmm. Chapter Six is a job. He's he knows what he's doing. He's planned mm-hmm. everything out. Well, and things that, didn't necessarily go according to plan, though. Oh, but no, no, no. Because, but think about it, though. That's what makes him. That's what elevates Mando above everybody else. Like his little cohorts, whatever their names are: Bill Burr, um, Harley Quinn, Twi'lek, uh, Clancy <laughs> Brown. You have them, and they get caught. And they're supposed to be all professionals, right? They're all they're all professionals. They're yeah. they they've done this before, and yet 
on a, a New Republic prison ship, which obviously is going to have sentries of some sort, the first time they face any sort of challenge, they get pinned down. And yet at that moment, Mando knows go up into the, however you want to call it, the space air vents, drop down behind them, and he gets to jump mm-hmm. on all, what, four or five sentries in a matter of seconds. That kind of frustrated me, though, because then in, like, the two like two or three minutes later, Bill Burr takes down, like, four of them by himself. And it's just like, why couldn't you have done that, like, before? I don't well, know. Because, because he had to jump on them. Remember, he shoots them all from the back. He gets to jump on them. I, again, I'm I, I I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you. But the point being is that there's there's certain elements of this. We're like, oh, Mando's going on a job. He's a professional. Watching a professional do their job is a thing that, as a viewer, as a consumer of media, I love. If anybody's ever seen the movie Sicario, that is a movie where you see characters doing their job, and it's just so much fun to watch. Or Sicario. That's the cinema these listener caught speaking right now. Um, but that's that's the difference though. I think it's all the matter of just the lens that we view these things. Is that does it work in the scene in the episode that it's occurring? Mm-hmm. Not all this stuff, and that's the difference. Like, and that's the sort of stuff, not that it bugs me about the show, but they clearly they know what they're doing, but they there's those moments that are plugged in. That like I the Iron Man squat to shoot little missiles out of your gauntlet. That is a very Tony Stark thing to do. I hate to admit it, but yes, you're right. And I also noticed that I am kind of doing the exact same thing that you're doing with the episodes that I kind of disliked. I'm kind of doing that thing where I'm like playing devil's advocate, but not really like doing a really good job of communicating. That's what I'm doing. So it might come across like I'm. I'm saying that I dislike them. I don't dislike the episodes. I just think that was where my interest started to like to be a little bit pulled in another direction. Like, oh just, yeah, just to clear. Yeah, that. I understand. Sure, no, that's like I said. It's not fun having to qualify your opinions every ten seconds. <laughs> but no, I just think it's that's funny co- that we're essentially doing the same thing. Well, yeah, but I think that's that's the whole point of this discussion is that like in, there's a reason why Mackenzie's on here, folks. It's not just because uh, she she figured out the code. There's a special, very specific code I want everybody to know. One, like, if you want, like whether it be Chris Porteous or other listeners, like there's a very specific sequence, folks. It's kind of like one of those things where it's like, okay, you say the right thing, and it's like, huh, Zach likes your opinion on things. It's 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 possible, folks. Anybody can come on Knights of Vader if you try hard enough. You um, just you say th- you like his poster, and that's it. No, the, the point being is that, like, no, Mackenzie's right. Like, I think it's the idea that, like, you do want to be balanced. Like, you don't want to be these, I don't want to say, I almost said hyperpartisan. You don't want to be these kind of, like, zealots. And I think that's the thing that bothers me about The Mandalorian, is that, like, it brought in that overzealous nature, or just that, God, the, the, the absolute part of the fandom. That like, oh, like everybody said this is unanimously great, so we can't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that bugs me about just like, again, and I get it. Obviously, Dis- like you were saying, you're not wrong. Disney does not want the derision. But is somebody who loves Star Wars as a piece of art in, in any shape and form it might take, you do want the debate, not the derision. But you want the debate. And that's where I think they should be doing more to encourage that in healthy ways. Like, I'm not saying that every Star Wars film has to begin with a PSA, how to sit there and talk to the person next to you. But I think that's something that I like. 
what I'm trying to get at with these Mandalorian discussions kind of is in like a a a under the surface theme is that like I want like I want to be able to talk about the Mandalorian and tell the people in the audience have listeners be like oh like it's okay to not have to unilaterally love this thing because I would imagine like I think I've said it before like Mandalorian people enjoyed it but I don't think it's gonna be one of those things that we're gonna be talking about. Maybe once it's completed, how many, however many seasons it may go, mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to have that resonance. The same way that, like, we, we've talked about before, the Last Jedi has, Revenge of the Sith has, mm-hmm. Empire has. I don't think it's. There's no moment in this. There's no like that kind of like a thing for fans to latch onto. There's nothing in the Mandalorian that speaks to the fandom on a profound level. Or not even profound, but just like on a, on a deep level that you can connect to. Because, like, I have to ask you, what is there? What's your favorite moment in this? And, and not, and, and I say mo- moment, moment, not like any scene with Baby Yoda or any time he flies. There's a jetpack. It has to be like, like, like a moment that, like, the same way. Like, if I asked you what your favorite moment of the Last Jedi was, you could tell me easily, right? Yes. There you go. Is there a moment in the, and I obviously I know the Raylo and you has a very specific connection to the last Jedi that the obviously the Mandalorian cannot fulfill. But is there a moment in this that you can point to where like let's say you're talking to somebody and you're like, oh, like they're like, oh, so what do you like about the show? Like, oh, there's this really great scene when blah 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 happens. Uh the scene that I would that is coming to mind for me is not necessarily like an epic scene. It's more of it's more of like a quieter moment where you kind of get to see the Mandalorian like kind of struggling with a decision. And I feel like this is so like girly of me to say, but it's actually ironically in episode four or chapter four, uh, when you see, um, Oh, what's her name? The widow. She's got a name. She's got to have a name. (laughs) It's star Wars. Everybody has a name. Star Wars widow lady. Um, when she is trying to get him to stay and you see him, Watching, I'm sorry that Baby Yoda has to be involved in this, um, but he does. And you see him playing with, like, the kids. And they're in this, like, beautiful paradise of, you know, peace. And it's just, it's just perfect. It's exactly what, what Baby Yoda would, would thrive in. And something that would be good for even uh, Din Djarin as a, as, a, as a person. As, like, a healing for him. And you have this moment where you see him, like... You know, he actually considers it. And I think that's why I was so upset at that episode was because he he couldn't stay there, obviously. But it's just sad. And I, I like that sadness. I like that, oh, man, like, it sucks and I hate it. But at the same time, I love it. <laughs> Folks, I want you to remember this exact moment because there's going to be an episode on this podcast when Rise of Skywalker comes out on home video where we're going to talk about tragic romances. And it's gonna and, be I, a, hate it, and, and gonna, I hate it. And I hate it. And I hate it. But I love fire, it. It's a fiery <laughs> debate. It's, it's going to get hostile real quick. Just pay attention. I said that I hated it. But, but it's and also I your, love it at the same time. But, but I hate picked, it. But you picked it as your favorite moment. So like, yes. there you go. Thank you. Because okay. it's mm, she literally okay. she literally handed me the sword, folks. I'm going to use to impale her on in a couple of weeks. She handed it to me. It wasn't <laughs> necessarily about the romance. It was more so about Baby Yoda. I just want to say that. <laughs> it wasn't qualify, about. I did not qualify. say. Oh, I'm sad that he couldn't be with the hot lady. 
that's up to you. Now, see, see, now, now you're you're making even worse. You're taking your hole deeper. I'm definitely uh, not. Sure, that's what they all think. Um, but that's that's the sort of stuff that's really great about this show. You have those moments. You have these moments of really deep character interaction, and that's the thing that kind of like it has the potential. And so when it does take the easy way out. I become disappointed with this show. It's because mm-hmm. it, and then I'm not again. Like I said, not every moment can be deep and impactful. I'm, I'm conceding. No, that. but good art is divisive. You're right, and I, I, I've never disagreed with that. I mean, it's clear from the Last Jedi that it is almost a necessity in our society nowadays because it's just it doesn't happen often enough. But that's the thing, though, is that we don't like if in the fan base you can't have these. Discussions because if you once you push back and say, I didn't like this, a certain well, when it comes to Mandalorian, the majority will shut you down. And it happened to me, Mr. Dillywood. Yeah, think about it. Mr. Dillywood got so angry over something I said about a show involving not Boba Fett that it made him that angry that he had to lash out. Mm -hmm. I think about that. Like, imagine somebody says an opinion about a, a TV show that makes you that angry. And I think I think listeners of this podcast know I don't I'm not I I, I don't say anything offensive. I, I have my opinions. You might not like them though, but they're never offensive. And yet somebody got so angry over an opinion. And I think that's kind of like my another pro like I said, I've spoken about it earlier so far in this recording. But like that's the thing, is that like the Mandalorian doesn't breed discourse. And that might be mm-hmm. the ultimate reason why I dislike it so much. Hmm. Whereas every other Star Wars film, with the exception of maybe Rogue One, breeds discourse. Even Solo, to a lesser extent. Rebels does. Definitely does. And that's kind of my problem with this. Is that like it's kind of like it plays it so safe that you do have to kind of seem like a jerk sometimes to dissect mm-hmm. it. Right. But I mean, at the same time, like that is totally a valid reason to to not love something but for me it's not a big enough reason for me to dismiss it as something that i do not like you sure. know what i'm saying it's a matter of preference yeah it is it is at the end of the day and um i don't know it just i think it does a good job for what it is at the end of the day it might not be the most memorable star wars thing that we have but it was a fun time i had really a great time watching this i had a great time talking to my parents about this my family my family loved it and you know my my family is clearly not as invested in star wars as i am but i mean they care about it and they love it you know and i think that's great that that any type of star wars thing can speak to somebody that in you know, be it a very small way, be it a silly way, be it a baby Yoda way, you know, that's what Star Wars is all about. It's about speaking to people, and 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 I think it does a, a good job of that. And I also think that yes, it is similar to like the whole Marvel ish thing, and I dislike that. But on the same hand, like if that's what it takes to get people like back into star wars then then why not i mean i i say that very lightly but you know who knows this might have inspired people to be like oh maybe i should 
go watch some of the newer movies or maybe I should go watch some of the originals or, you know, they're like, oh, that's a really cool design. Let me go look up where that came from. And then they discover Boba Fett. And then, you know, someone that might not have known who Boba Fett was now is like, oh, let me go watch the movie. You know, I think that's an interesting idea that it, it, it might have inspired people to go see what those little nuggets that they kind of peppered in here and there might have done for those people. I hope. I hope I hope that's that's the this like that's kind of the best case scenario for me. This is a gateway. Yeah. It's a, it's a way, gateway to bigger and better things because other than that, all I see is a very dangerous precedent be, precedent being set. Mhm. It is dangerous. I guess it can only get worse from here. <laughs> but I hope it doesn't. You're in the High Republic. Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. Star Wars without the Star Wars without the wars. Okay, that that sounds no war, no war in Star Wars. We have to make sure that we're specifying that we have the Force. (laughs) Jedi, no, 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 no Jedi, no Jedi are listed. No Jedi, just Sith, just Sith, Sith Sith Empire. Um, oh my God, (sighs) animal, uh, animal friends. I guess okay, but I guess kind of like this is kind of like now like extrapolating from the Mandalorian. If you're the executives, whether it be Lucasfilm or Disney. Based on the public's reception to this, where do you go from here? Not just uh, – you can answer that any way you want, whether it be Mandalorian Season 2, whether it be movies, comic books, TV shows. What Hmm. lessons do you think they're going to learn from this? They're going to learn that they can essentially throw Star Wars into any type of situation, and they can make money off of it simply by – doing what you said, like just having that mass appeal towards where we're going to throw this in for this person. We're going to throw this in for these people. We're going to make sure everybody gets a little bit of the pie. You know what I'm saying? And I don't know if that's necessarily a lesson that they're learning, but I think that they're most likely going to do the same thing. Like they're, they're going to just follow the recipe again. And it's a bad thing, but it's also like, what are you going to do? You know? We're Star Wars fans. We have no choice but to take what they're giving us. And you can either you can either take it and complain about it, or you can take it and just be thankful. Or not thankful, that's the wrong word. Just just kind of like like just be glad that you're getting something. The force that, that's the force ghost gym mantra. <laughs> just be happy we're getting something. Which I am. Like I and and I guess I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit too of like an apathetic viewpoint on it but i mean i i love that we're getting star wars stuff i love that we're getting a season two you know i'm excited for it i'm definitely gonna watch it i think that they're probably it's probably gonna be very similar in the fact that it's gonna be flashy and it's gonna be pristine and it's gonna be clean and there's gonna be a lot of baby yoda stuff for me to go crazy over but i mean do i think that they're gonna change maybe you know Maybe not. I don't know. That's the thing about this. Like, I don't know where you go from safe. Mm-hmm. Where do you right. go from safe? To safer. But that's also something that happened with clone. Well, I guess I'm weird like that. Rebels got progressively better with every season. Mm-hmm. Clone Wars, I think Clone Wars is a mess. That show was just so all over the place that, like, I and I don't mean that like in a negative way. I, I like it was like, ever bad, but I mean like it just like certain certain episodes were great. Other ones were like, eh. 
Other ones are like, oh, good lord, we're doing five episodes straight about Padme. Dear lord, make it stop. And that's the thing. Like, I, I am holding out hope that, like, okay, like they have their footing now. Maybe they'll start doing more headier and loftier things like they did with Rebels. The first season of Rebels, initially, I was just like, I don't care. I'm like, I don't care. And then by the mm-hmm. end of season two, it got very, it got very deep. Mm-hmm. Like in a way that we never expected. Again, if you yeah. would have told me at the beginning, I can still remember watching the, the series premiere of Rebels, where you have the horrible animation on the Wookiees. And then a year and a half later, you have on one side, Kanan, Maul, and, and Ahsoka. And on the other side, three Inquisitors on a, a Sith temple on some weird-ass planet. And I'm like... Whoa. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's the sort of stuff that, like, that's neat. Like, that's neat. It's like, okay, if it works, and I guess that's my thing. If it works or if it aids the story, I've got no problem with it being mm-hmm. fan servicey or being safe. But it's gotta it's gotta help the story. And that's that's what it comes down to. And I think this show, it's very scattershot at times when when it mm-hmm. decides when it decides to do those sort of things. Mm-hmm. Well, who knows? Maybe we are in for a little bit more of a uh, of a roller coaster of of not emotions, but like lore-ish type things. I mean, they are obviously hinting at things with the dark saber. They've hinted at things with Baby Yoda and his force abilities. I mean, who's to say we don't somehow find the Mandalorian coming into possession of the dark saber, or we delve well, that more ha- into well, that has Baby to Yoda and the yeah? I mean, that's. Think of the toys, though. Think of the toy. Think of the Funko Pops alone with him holding the dark saber. That's I can I, I, I can hear the think of the right Funko now. Pops. But no, like we we obviously are skirting around the force in this show as a subject matter. We we might get a little bit more um, insight into that. I mean. We might even get a little bit more insight into Yoda and his maybe his origins and, and maybe oh, the God, planet no, that no, he came from. No, no, I don't want that. No, if they do that, that's that's a deal breaker. That if they if they if they start treading on those sort of things, kind of like the mysteries of the like Yoda's like species is one of those things. Like it's like the mysteries of the universe. It's like no, don't they don't touch it. Don't ever don't. Well, didn't they ever, already say that's what he's trying to do? Like he's trying to. Sure. No, you can like you can investigate something without ever like it's it's the um it's the thing that's currently going on in the fan base with the whole thing of like how Palpatine come back and I know people are misinterpreting yeah. people are misinterpreting one line of like from the book and they're like oh Palpatine is a, a clone, clone. and yeah. it's like it's like no it's like you can interpret that line a hundred different ways it's ambiguous it's it doesn't it's not definitive that's a clickbait article yeah. and. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll get into that because I think I have a theory about Baby Yoda. Sure, of course you but, do. But of course I do. That's that's the thing though. It's like I don't want I don't want them to explain things. Like flesh out the world, like the Tuscan Raiders. Is that like right. that was fan service done brilliantly? It makes perfect sense for them to be there. They're on Tatooine. It, they would of course be there if two people that are for foreigners are in their territory. But you don't just have them show up, whack Guy McFace in the head with the gaffy stick, rip off his binoculars, and go through a speeder. They right. made it clever. You 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 fleshed out the characters of, of Tusken Raiders. That are, their only thing they're known for is 
<laughs> and that's all they're known for. Brilliant. And they and they added a layer to it without demystifying them. Right. And you don't think that they they'd be able to do that with maybe like something involving Yoda? Not not they even can't. not even they, Yoda specifically. Let's just say the child's family. Yeah, okay. They they have the potential to. But right. look and like how you said, they do not like derision. No. So after what just happened with Palpatine in The Rise of Skywalker, they're going to be much more inclined to be explicit in how they explain it rather than ambiguous. And that's the thing that scares me. Right. And that's why right. The Mandalorian is dangerous. Like The Mandalorian is the current best thing ever, like, like best Star Wars ever. I'm saying that very much like Amelia Clark like on the premiere, like best season ever. Mm. It's like, and guess what? They're going to go for that. Because it's low and it's easier. It's much easier to explain something matter of factly than it is to make it ambiguous, make the audience think about it. Like, I don't know why people care about how Palpatine came back. He's an evil space wizard. He can do anything he freaking wants because he's Palpatine. He's weird and he's goofy. Like, think about it. He's mm. able to shoot lightning out of his freaking hands and, like, literally wipe out tens of thousands of ships. Yeah, he sees Ray start, like, no, he sees Ben Solo just, like, flailing around and that breaks <laughs> his concentration. Like, that's hilarious. Like, this man has all the power in the universe right now and that just bothers him. It's like, that's great. It's Palpatine. He's crazy. Like, he's a bad guy. He has to lose. Right. Like, it doesn't matter how Palpatine came back, but, like, there's going to be fans that are going to want Baby Yoda. I can see it right now. Can you imagine the same dry erase board, giant post-it note in the writer's room of The Mandalorian? And it's like, Baby Yoda explained. And it's like, no, no, please, no, don't explain Baby Yoda. Well, they might not. You know, they, they, they did a really great job of keeping it completely ambiguous for the first season. And I, um, when I was just kind of like, ruminating on the only two episodes that I had seen, I had every expectation that they were probably going to drop like at least a name of the species at some point, And they didn't. So I was kind of pleasantly surprised that they didn't. But at the same time, like how long is that going to last? Well, it's the, uh, it's the, the twin peaks, Laura Palmer thing. Is uh, that like, it was never intended to be revealed. Like if anybody remembers their twin peaks from the nineties, it was like, that was going to be the perpetual mystery in that it didn't matter. It was the catalyst that, it was, I don't want to say MacGuffin because that word's used too much erroneously nowadays, but it was, it was, it was a thing to set up the series. It was never mm -hmm. meant to be something that had, it was never intended to be solved. And guess what though? Executives who don't understand how stories work, just say, that's what the market research says. People want this, give it to them. Mm -hmm. And that's all it takes. All it takes is one executive who's, who's, who's an ignoramus. And it all comes crashing down. That's where, like, I'm a little bit more confident in Filoni and Favreau. And mm -hmm. that Favreau has the clout to shut executives down. Yes, he definitely does. And that's and the thing that's comforting. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I would say that they might do, as you said, and they might loosen those reins a little bit for season two based on, like, just the overall, the good reception of this. Like, the, the overall, like, people widely agree that this is you know overall it's very good and um i lost my train of thought damn <laughs> no i think the point you're trying to make is is that like there's the people like this they have them on board yeah yeah exactly okay so that that's what i was gonna say i was gonna say that 
they know that they have a fit like a group there's a large group of people that the second that they drop season two everybody is going to be like oh the mandalorian heck yeah i'm jumping on that just because of how good the first season did of how well performed on like especially with people like like i noticed a lot of like people like my sister's age like 19 like from ages 19 to like 14 my two sisters their their schools and like their friends were absolutely obsessed with it and so i know that there's like a very large group of like younger people that they're probably most likely going to be banking on jumping on this season 1 on disney plus Regardless of how weird it is, I mean, Favreau has already proved himself to, to create a product that will draw in the money and the numbers that Disney wants. So therefore, I mean, you're definitely onto something where season two, we might be in for something a little more uh, out of bounds or out of, uh, you know, out of a uh, left field. Maybe, you know, I would hope. But because I think at maybe the same that's, time. well, sorry. No, good. At the same time. I lost what I was going to say already. Oh, geez. I sidetracked her, folks. Forgive me. The train Um, crashes very quickly. (laughs) Um, But also, the thing about Favreau, too, is that he also created the Dead Behind the Eyes Lion King remake. Oh, yeah. He did that. I forgot about that. Yep. Oh, that was Favreau? Yes, that was Favreau. Yeah. And that's and that's the thing I'm afraid about with Star Wars is that like Disney doesn't care whether any of this is good. Like the Lion King remake, it's no one's favorite film. No one in their right mind is gonna pick that over the, the, the nineteen ninety four version. Absolutely not. That would be Burnham at the stake level uh heresy. heresy. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. And yet it made one point six billion dollars. And that's all that matters. And that's and that's where I know. Like people get mad at me for being cynical and jaded. But it comes down to the philosophy of as long as the check clears. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter if any of this is good. It's disposable. It's entertainment. It, it, it's it, there's so much of it you can't sift through it all in a lifetime. You can sift through it in 20 lifetimes. And mm-hmm. that's what it is. As long as it as long as think about it, the Mandalorian gets made because they can put it in a in a TV spot. Or an added or an online advertisement, and someone will be like, "Ooh!" and they'll spend seven dollars a month for it. That's mm-hmm. all it's done. It's meant to get a subscriber. That's ultimately all this is meant to do. And I think that's what makes the Disney era a little bit, a lot different than like what Lucas was doing. And it's not to say that obviously one one era is better than the other. Again, there's gonna be there's gonna be multiple eras of Dis- of Disney Star Wars that are gonna be very different from what we've been going through for the last what six or seven years. It's the idea that like as much as we all laughed at Lucas, he was trying to tell a story. Yes, at certain times the uh the toy makers had their uh hands I kind of had had, uh, had their fingers in the pie when it came to certain decisions. But at the end of the day, it was one man making those decisions. And he mm-hmm. wasn't looking at market research. Uh, yeah, that's safe to say. And that's and that's the thing that kind of, not that it bumps me out, because obviously it's he, the, the maker sold, sold the property. So mm-hmm. it, it, every decision at this point ultimately rests on his hands because he didn't have to sell it. He could have very easily held on to this, given it to his kids, and they could have done whatever the hell they wanted with this. But at the same time, though, we can't ignore the past. Like, the past exists. We have to uh, constantly reconcile the future with it. And that's Let the, the thing. Die. 
<laughs> Kill it if you have to. Uh, I, I miss that. We need that again. We we need we need the Mandalorian to say that. We we need him to say that, or Baby Yoda to say it. Let the Baby Yoda like in his sleep one day. Be like, Let him speak. That those are his first words. Let the past die. Everyone looks around. Kill it Car, if you have to. Yes, Car Dune looks around. It's like what? What was that? He's say it again. And he's just like goo goo gaga. <laughs> like oh okay, that's what I thought you said. Yep. Oh, I remember there was a question I wanted to ask you. We were talking about how. The Mandalorian being released essentially like on top of the Rise of Skywalker practically might have had something. I mean, clearly it was intentional by Disney Lucasfilm. But what, do you think that the public's reception slash your enjoyment of this series would have changed had they waited to release this uh, prior to the last to uh, I'm sorry, prior to the, the Rise of Skywalker coming out? You mean afterwards? Like if it would have been released yeah. a few months? Okay. Uh, like if it had come if if it had come out now. If it would have come out, I'm not even gonna say now because I still think we're in Rise of Skywalker territory. Still, I, th- I think I think we're, I think until uh, that comes out, the home video release. I until the home video release. What is then, that? March 31st. Yeah, the end of March. Okay. So as of April, because it's funny. Ever since Disney Star Wars took over, April has always been the rebirth of Star Wars, whether it be Rogue One. Solo, no, not Solo is different. Um, all those, like once once the previous movie comes out on home video, then it's like okay, the new cycle begins. I think if they, and I get this, never would have happened in a million years for the reasons that she said. I think that in my selfish unilateral opinion, if they would have had this come out April. I think a part of me would have enjoyed this more. I don't mean wrong. Mm-hmm. Like my, I still think a lot of my complaints would have been there. But sure, think, sure. But I do think it was kind of like, why are we getting this all now? Yeah, I think that played a big part into it. And I think that might be why I have less pro- like less qualms with it is because like I saw the first two episodes like halfway through November. I can't remember. I'm not as good with dates and and time uh, as you are, but. Like, a big part of it is that I got to kind of chew on it for a little bit. I got to chew on the idea, and then I got to wait. Then I got to see The Rise of Skywalker wait a little bit longer, you know, at least a week or two. I mean, it might have been a little bit even more than that. But essentially, like, I wasn't watching it simultaneously, and I wasn't in the middle of the story and then getting hit in the face with The Rise of Skywalker and all everything that that entailed. And then finishing up this, you know what I'm saying? I couldn't wait. Which which episode did you say came out uh, right before? Chapter I can't remember. Se- Was it seven? Chap- chapter seven came out right before the movie. Okay, so that came out right before. I couldn't imagine like seeing the rise of Skywalker, and then the next week seeing chapter eight, and then like chapter eight would be totally yeah. like, yep. like yeah, like I could see chapter eight just having like. It, it lost its lackluster. Like it, it's, it's missing something. You know what I'm saying? But for me, I thought chapter seven and eight were amazing. I love well, them and getting to watch them back to back was even better. Well, let's have to ask you now, considering that you're the rational Ray low, <laughs> what would have happened that you see chapter seven on Wednesday? Let's pretend that you're, you're back in reality for this. Sure. You see chapter seven. And I think you probably would have, I think it's fair to say that you would have liked it. Right. I don't, I don't yeah. think. And then, Two days later, Ben Solo dies. How would you have felt going into Chapter 8? 
You would have been, you would have been a little. I would have been distraught. I would have been distraught still. <laughs> sure. I don't think like I definitely think that knowing that Ben Solo was going to die helped my um, my ability to cope with it in the moment, and it also helped me like rationalize why it makes sense in the narrative, and why I don't you know run around uh, screaming at you know the wind about it. But um, yeah, I definitely would have probably not really cared at all. It like. Especially, like, I don't know. It just, it doesn't have the same level of meaning to me. I, I've been so attached to the sequel tri- trilogy since 2015 that it, it was almost like a small part of me died <laughs> when Ben Solo died. So having to deal with the repercussions of that, juxtaposed to, like, the amount of, you know, care that I had for The Mandalorian, which I did. I, I did care about him. I cared... I cared more when Quill died in Chapter 7, but, like, I could totally see where the ending would have been rendered pretty, like, like not obsolete, that's the wrong word, but irrelevant. Moot. Like, just, moot. yeah, moot. The point was moot. I like that. Yeah, definitely. It's just not as important, especially, like, it just would have gotten paved over by the amount of, what did you, I forgot what you described it as, but the insanity that ensued. <laughs> Especially from the Raylo community, oh. which I am not. I am not. I, I, I listen. I don't associate myself with that side of things. Oh, she's she's a self hating Raylo too. Jeez, I'm not. So I am a proud Raylo. You are a rational Raylo and a self hating Raylo. I mean, to some degree, <laughs> every Raylo has to be self hating <laughs> because <laughs> we know what we are. It's it's trash. It really is, but. It's 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 my trash and I love it. Uh, but yeah, I I can from what you've told me, if you if you had to had the whole Ben Solo thing happen, and remember nobody knew that until the week of, so like that would have been like a there's a possibility that you might not even enjoy Chapter Seven because if you were reading the leaks that week, that leak oh, early yeah, in the week, I would have been all over that too. And so I you were probably pissed. I would have been so pissed. You would have been yeah. I, I think there's a part of that. You would have went into seven. Seven, and maybe to a lesser extent, eight, with a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. Yeah, and I've come to I've come to terms with it all now. Definitely after having an adequate amount of time to chew on that whole thing, which we don't, we de- definitely don't have to get into that right now. But um, but we will. But we will. But we, sh- we definitely will. We definitely will. Look forward to it, folks. In about uh, well, it's March right now, so that's what. Today's the second, third, fourth. Yeah, about three, three to four weeks. We'll delve into that. We'll we'll do uh, the Raylo discussion. That's uh, that's gonna be fun. I I thoroughly look forward to that discussion. That's where you get to see Mackenzie yell, folks. I'm gonna be screaming probably the entire time. Like Zenger level of screaming, just like like throwing <laughs> chairs, and the whole time I'll be laughing. Like, see, that's exactly what Raylo is. It's chairs being thrown at each other from across the room. I'm gonna be like, it's beautiful. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> it's the most pretty looking chair I've ever seen before. It's a chair that looks like Adam Driver. It's a very tall chair with a very broad, broad chest. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um, I guess there's one final thing about the Mandalorian. I've always, I, I, I think I brought this up in the last, like when we discussed it back in November and December, but I don't think anybody really harped on it as much as I did. Is that how much of Disney now, I don't want to say it's regretting, but when they did galaxy's edge, and they made it so, so time specific. 
to the the time period between Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. That they actually cut themselves out of having like walk around Mandalorian, Cara Dune, and Baby Yoda walk around characters. Oh, that's a great point. I bet they're kicking themselves right now. They probably you, are. Can you? Can, that's what makes me wonder, though, because I, I can't speak to Disneyland, but I can speak sure. to uh, Hollywood Studios in Florida. Is that? But when they were building Galaxy's Edge, they on the other side of the park they had Launch Bay. And essentially, it was just like a makeshift exhibit where they had props and stuff from the movies, mm-hmm. some some new props, some older stuff. And you could That's meet, where you get to see Kylo Ren, right? You get to meet the character. You yeah, I went there. Oh man, that was a fun that was a fun time. My thing is, I wonder if they're gonna take that area of the park and rework it. And by rework it, I don't know how because considering that anytime Disney does anything with those theme parks, you're talking about like five to ten years. I wonder if there's a part of them that kind of like what Universal did with Harry Potter, where you have, mm-hmm. uh, oh God, a Hogsmeade and Islands of Adventure, and then you have uh, Diagon Alley in mm-hmm. Universal Studios proper. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's a part of them that wants to do that. Like you have, you keep your Galaxy's Edge, it can be sequel trilogy oriented, but then you have like your Mandalorian town. Mm. Maybe they have. They have to be kicking the tires on that well i'm pretty sure there's already a spot or two in uh hollywood studios itself that like kind of resembles tatooine well yeah there's, like, a few areas like they could probably just like expand on that no but remember immersion though mando mando and baby yoda wouldn't be walking around during that time i think about no mando but they do be- have a lot of those like there's the last time i went to hollywood studios there was a lot of star wars stuff and there was star wars characters walking around everywhere but like, that was, but, but that was that wasn't the Galaxy's Edge thing though. That Galaxy's Edge true, is very true. much it was themed to prior. its time. I'm not saying they can't have Mando walk around characters. I'm not saying that though. But I mean that like when you have like, you build a, a Star Wars specific themed area, and because you were so specific in your timing of it, you 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 remove you box argu- yourself in. Yeah. And I find, and that's why I never understood when they were doing that. And it's like, why? Mm. Like, like make it ambiguous. Like, it's kind of like they do with Star Tours. Star Tours is all like has no really yeah. no content. Like, I never understood why continuity was in part important in a theme park like ride. It's like it's it's a ride. Like it's not continuity. Like sure, if you want to plug in some elements here or there, that's that's you can do whatever you want. But I find it weird that like like think about it. Can you imagine if you had walk around Mando and Baby Yoda? Like, like a little like magnet maybe like you had um, something like that. Can you imagine the lines there would be for pictures with oh that? Oh my gosh, it would be insanity, especially consider the amount of stroller pushers you got going to Disney. It's <laughs> that would be insane. That's the one thing that I hate about going to Disney is like I mean, someday if I have kids, like obviously like I'm gonna be right there with them, but it's just terrible for people like us. But yeah, um, anyways, going back to what you were saying, I think that they most likely will have that type of thing. I don't know if they're going to uh, make it as go so far as to get rid of the launch bay area, but um, because I feel like that's kind of, you know, it's like a staple, but I mean, it's Disney and they can do whatever they want. And if the people want baby Yoda in Mandalorian land, then that's what, uh, what baby wants baby gets. (laughs) Yep. Exactly. So I don't know, but that's an interesting, that's an interesting thought. I had not thought about the fact that they had kind of, um, 
shot themselves in the butt with the whole Batu uh, situation. Good old Batu, the most boring place in the galaxy. It is kind of, you know, the more I think about it, it is kind of strange that they chose that out of all places that they could have chose. I, I, it's, I, I remember when they announced it, I'm like, this is, this is, this is sounds horrible. Not even sounds horrible. It's just bland. It's like everything else. It is bland. It's like, it's kind of like not Tatooine or not Mos Eisley. It's off brand. It's off brand Mos Eisley. It's kind it's kind of like the meme that's like, mom, can we go to my most Eisley? We have most Eisley at home. And it's Batu. Most Eisley at home, Batu. Oh, yeah. It's exactly like that. But, I mean, they they tried to make it more relevant with the books. But, I, I, mean. I, I okay, considering, okay, like you said, like I said, eh, I said it last week, Mackenzie reads the books, and this is going to be fun to talk to this stuff with her, is, like, you read Black Spire Outpost. Yes. And then, and then and like, have you watched any of the ride footage from Rise of the Resistance? No. All right. Yeah. Okay. We're going to have to come back to that. I'll have to send you a link later. But to just tell you now for the sake of the conversation is, like, there's so much canon-breaking stuff in that ride. Like, now that we have the Rise of Skywalker, so much of canon is broken in that ride. <laughs> Like Kylo like, Ren, Kylo Ren has the mask, but it's not the reforged mask. But oh it ta- but it takes place after the Last Jedi because Rey is wearing her uh, Jedi training her training last- Oh, like her hair half down, half yeah. up. Yeah, yep. Oh, She's man. in the in the pre-show. She has that, so it's clearly post Last Jedi. But it's Kylo Ren, like pre Force Awakens. Hmm. <sighs> And I love that. I love how, like, after all that time of, like, this is going to be the most immersive real-world experience for a Star Wars fan ever. And then, like, cut to cannon-breaking. And it's like, okay. I'm like, I don't care because it's a ride. It shouldn't matter. It's like, the bit, you yeah. want that. You want a visceral thrill. I'm not, like, if anybody goes on a theme park ride and they're like, you know what? Like, it doesn't make sense. I'm like, you're missing the point. But, like, it's just mm-hmm. fun considering they're the ones who had to bring that up how many years ago? That like when it finally opens, it's like, oh, like maybe you should have kept it ambiguous. It's been like, oh, it's sequel trilogy. Well, when it's a sequel yeah, trilogy, that's that would have made way more sense. Then we that way you could justify having Kylo Ren in an unforged helmet and Ray and her whatever garb they choose to put her in. Especially like, I think a lot more people dig the uh, white Jedi robes for her, anyways. Like, so you could kind of like switch back and forth. You could have whatever you want. You have more options. You don't kind of like. Like like I said before, box yourself in with this like it has to be very specific. I like to imagine the reason why they couldn't have an unmasked Kylo Ren is that it'd be very similar used to happen to the Jack Sparrow walk around characters in the mid two thousands. He'd just be hit on so much by everybody. They're like, we can't do this. We can't do this. This poor guy. <laughs> it's the same thing. Like borderline sexual harassment. <laughs> that that's a real thing that happened. They had to actually they had to like cut out like a lot. No, of No, I remember Sparrow. hearing about it. It was crazy. I remember reading about that being like the, the poor Jack Sparrow walk around characters yeah. would be like, like they were being used as pinch uh, pin cushions all the time. And it's like I remember just being like, wow, like, poor guys, are poor people are horrible. But yeah, that's that's neither here nor there. That's just a fun little Disney story. Hmm. Um, I guess that being said, Mackenzie, anything else about the Mandalorian? Or are we ready to wrap this up? Um, if I could insert a GIF as my response. Oh boy. It would be the gif of little baby Yoda sipping his soup. And that's it. That's all I have to say. 
I'm just I'm just shaking my head, folks. I, I hope I hope that comes through the audio. You can hear like the air going by my mic, just shaking my head. Oh, oh yeah. And I just think I wanted to say that um I think it's very funny how much pleasure you gained out of the beginning of episode eight when they just hit Baby Yoda multiple times. Okay, I never made that. Okay, she peek behind the curtain, folks. I never really made like why we recorded that episode. I had to be very veiled about that. I guess now she's just like tearing oh, it down. I'm sorry, um, but yeah. I haven't listened to them, so I'm not aware of what you've chosen how, to how, hide from your fans. I, I, I had I had to tiptoe around that. No, I, it should be said now. I guess <laughs> he, that was- he okay. Just so you guys know, to be completely real, he he had a ridiculous amount of pleasure. From that scene, seeing him, the poor baby, get his head bashed in by two, what are they? Scout troopers. Scout troopers, which were, they were very funny. I liked them, but it was, it was like an insane amount of pleasure. It, it, it was kind of revo- like, not, I'm not going to say revolting, <laughs> but it was revolting. I can uh, neither confirm nor deny such accusations or allegations, excuse me. I did not laugh at Baby Yoda getting I, hit in the face. I I I, I played the fifth. My attorneys have advised me to uh, not comment on uh, such allegations. That's fine, but I think if, can we people that, can decide for themselves. Can we make that an experience at Galaxy's Edge? <laughs> the Scout Trooper experience. <laughs> Pay twenty bucks, you can come punch Baby bucks. Yoda. That's 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 cheap. I'd be willing to go at least. Uh, God, that's that's almost like the lightsaber experience. Well, how have... much? How much money would you spend? <sighs> Is it like just like a like a one off thing, kind of like the uh, like like meeting the characters? You have to like wait online like two or three hours. Oh yeah, there's definitely gonna be a line. It's there'd Disney. A, what do you expect? There'd be a line to hit Baby Yoda. I figured that'd be an experience just for me. I feel like if they were to offer that in this hypothetical sense, let's just say that there are other demented people out there like you that would gain pleasure from hitting a child. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, okay, okay, that, that came part, out wrong. That came part, out wrong. Part of that might have to be bleeped out, folks. <laughs> that came out wrong. I'm oh man! Sorry. Oh god! My podcast being accused of being a, a child beater. Oh good lord! What, what did things become? <laughs> well, he is called the child. So. Oh my god! I'm but sorry. Yeah. That's not what I meant to say. Oh my god! Um, I don't you never know. answered the question, though. <laughs> I'm afraid to now. This is being recorded. I have to be careful now. Now, I, now, actually, went from being like a plead the fifth, like in jest. Now it's like I, I my lawyers are whispering in my ears as we like, speak right now. No, shut don't up. open your mouth. Stop talking. Cut the mic. Cut her mic. <laughs> um, I will certainly say that, like, if it were like a lightsaber level experience, I had to choose between the two. I certainly would figure I have a lot of lightsabers and I don't need any more of them. Okay. I guess. But the answer doesn't completely satisfy me. I think I've already dug my hole well enough deep at this point. So, <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. Like, I, I, I wasn't trying to make you feel like guilty for it. But, I mean, at the same time, like... She's casting aspersions should, and she's like, no, I'm not trying to make you feel, feel bad. But the audience is going to make you feel bad. <laughs> She's like, I know I don't have to make you feel bad. The audience will in the comment section. Mr. Dillywood. It's your own conscience. Mr. Dillywood's like trying to write another review and it's like, I hope we re-edit it. Jeez. <laughs> it, there's a little edit. It says like like March 5th, 2020. He's like, he's like, doesn't like baby Yoda. Wants to hit baby Yoda. Send him to jail. 
And then I would, uh, I would have to politely agree. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Hopefully he's not uh, sitting there cracking his knuckles over his keyboard right now. He's creating another account. He goes and buys another iPhone just to leave another nasty review. <laughs> uh, All right. Yeah. Anything else about the Mandalorian or are you good? I am more than good. I am great. So concludes this episode of the Knights of Vader, a Star Wars podcast. Check out the Facebook group. Type the night. Type in Knights of Vader in the Facebook, and chances are you'll find us there waiting for you. Find us on Instagram, at KOV Podcast. Shoot us an email, kovpodcast at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to us on. Thank you to Inspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. Check out the show notes to hear more from them. Knights of Vader t-shirts. If you, too, want to be the most stylish person maybe in your state, at the rate we've sold these things, maybe you're not the only one. Uh, maybe someday I'll read off every state we've sold them to, and then you'll know whether you'll be the coolest person or the second coolest person. But hey, if you're interested in repping your favorite third-rate Star Wars podcast, give the show notes a click. For questions, comments, concerns, or snipe remarks, contact me, Zach, on Twitter, at Cinemodies. You can also hear me on the Cinemodies podcast as we delve into the Paul Bartell series with his inaugural film, Private Parts. Not the Howard Stern film, but a completely different film that shares the same title as the Howard Stern film. But when you're not listening to Rob and I talk about private parts, where can people find you, Mackenzie? Um, I think it's pretty safe to say that I might skip that episode. Just, just letting. Just kidding. Actually, I don't know. That is not a family-friendly discussion, folks. That is not a family-friendly episode. Oh, like most episodes of Cinemodies. Actually, very few episodes of Cinemodies, if any, are family-friendly. Hmm. Yeah, that's definitely not a not a Christian server. No. But um you can find me on the Facebook group or uh check your local saloon and the wanted posters. I'll be up there. She's at the Galaxy's Edge. It says a uh, wanted Raylo if you go into uh Ogus Cantina. Yes. Exactly. There's a large bounty on my head. Alrighty folks. Good night, but not goodbye. And as always Remember Alderaan, down with the Empire. <laughs> Thank you, Luke. <laughs>